Welcome to First Formation, spiritual exercise for Christian soldiers looking to get the fuck up and pray. Join Pew Pew HQ every weekday morning to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Psalm 119, verses 17 through 24. Deal bountifully with your servant, so that I may live and observe your word. Open my eyes, so that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I live as an alien in the land. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your ordinances at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me their scorn and contempt, for I have kept your decrees. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your decrees are my delight, they are my consolers. Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. Then Moses answered, But suppose they do not believe me or listen to me, but say the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw the staff on the ground, and it became a snake, and Moses drew back from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and seize it by the tail. So he reached out his hand and grasped it, and it became a staff in his hand. So that you may believe that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. He put his hand in his cloak, and when he took it out, his hand was leprous, as white as snow. Then God said, Put your hand back in your cloak. So he put his hand back in his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his body. If they will not believe you, or heed the first sign, they may believe the second sign. If they will not believe even those two signs, or heed you, you shall take some water from the Nile, and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor even now that you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who gives speech to mortals? Who makes them mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, What of your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he can speak fluently. Even now he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you his heart will be glad. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you what you shall do. He indeed shall speak for you to the people. He shall serve as a mouth for you, and you shall serve as God for him. Take in your hand this staff with which you shall perform the signs. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-10 through 10. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insecurity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him, a living stone, 
though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And, like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Good morning and welcome to the 21st Monday after Pentecost. This is Brother Logan Isaac broadcasting from Walkersville, Maryland. This morning's readings come to us from Psalm 119, Exodus 4, and 1 Peter 2. And the, uh, the story centers in the Old Testament on Moses and his calling as God's prophet and lawgiver. And the closing section of the New Testament reading, uh, the epistle, um, really kind of brings home um, what it means uh, to be a people. And Moses, I've always, you know, in political theology and like war and pacifism and you know, what does it mean to be a Christian and what a lot of people think of as an American empire, in the kind of conversations that, you know, um, circulate in those kinds of circles, one of them is, you know, well, where does the community of Christian believers begin and end within a society of American ideals and um, uh, uh, laws, I suppose, for lack of a better word. Um, what does it mean to be American Christians? Um, what does it mean to be, you know, also in a in a similar way, what did it mean to be Roman Christians? You know, the to be in bed with the power systems that could have stopped persecutions, could have avoided persecutions and didn't, could have been, you know, Cyrus of Persia rather than, you know, Caesars and Augusti. Um, what does it mean that we are ourselves benefactors of powerful systems um, that oppress other people? Um, you know, in, in in my church on Sundays, one of the prayers that we typically pray, um, I think it's an adaptation of the Apostles' Creed, no, the Confession of Sin. Um, you know, forgive us for the sins that we have done and the sins that we have failed to, uh, you know, failed to obstruct. I'm trying to remember the wording. Yesterday on Sunday in particular, it struck out to me. Forgive us for the sins that we have, the evil that we wield and the evil that we are encaptured by or something like that. Like we are bound by evil Um, and that it's most obvious 
um, that we are you know kind of servants to evil um, when we live in a really powerful nation that has a lot of money and resources to do good and it doesn't and that um, often um, does things that are not good um, you know you could say that Iraq was not good, and Afghanistan was not as good as it should have been. You know, it's it's complicated, um, and it it made me think of, you know, with Moses. Before Moses, Israel was a bunch of tribes that were kind of intermingled, um, first in Egypt and then amongst one another. I don't know how strong the you know the identification was tribal identification was in Egypt. Um, it certainly became stronger in the wilderness and during the military campaign in Canaan, when um, the land was going to be allotted because it was done by tribe. Um, and before all that, they were just kind of there. It was just a family tree, basically. But with Moses and Ten Commandments and what they are instructed to do and how to be and Numbers and Leviticus, um, they become a people. And a people is a really important distinction from nation because when we say nation or country or state, we have a particular thing in mind, and that's not what Israel was. Israel did not have land. They were nomadic for those 40 years that they wandered in the desert. They weren't a nation. They weren't a country. They weren't a, a nation state. Um, they had a constitution um, in you know in the in the law, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Um, that's all they had. They were a people without a place. Um, when they get that place, as with many, you know, national uh, origin myths. They displace another people and talk about how successful they were and, you know, how good they are to, uh, you know, how God, you know, promised it and how they deserve it because they're such great people, blah, 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 blah. Um, but even then, the cycle kind of continues. Uh, they immediately plunge into chaos under the judges. And last week when we talked about the uh, the cry for a king, on the one hand, you could see that as, you know, a corruption. That, um, and that's how Samuel saw it, that they said, we want a king. And the unspoken message was, God is not enough. But part of that unspoken message was, the judge system was not working. It was decentralized. It was non-hereditary, which is probably good. But also, like, who was in charge? To what are we accountable? You know, they had the Ten Commandments, but whose interpretation? You know, it's like the Bible now. Like, Christianity has so many different denominations, but, um, you know, maybe the one thing we have that binds us all together is Scripture, but then, like, again, which translation? And so it's, it's this rather awkward, uh, complicated cycle. Um, between you know centralization and decentralization, I suppose, and the power that that brings, and the corruption that follows immediately after the power. Um, but they, you know, they were something like a nation state under, or something like a people, you know, uh, 
something more than just a community, more than just a family tree when they got the Ten Commandments. Um, and then, you know, they, they kind of come into their own in Judges, but then they kind of lapse back into whatever. As I mentioned, there's more than one way to interpret, you know, what that event, series of event means. Um, and October 24th, uh, yesterday, I'm trying to incorporate more of my prayer books. And I've noticed in the American prayer book uh, that I picked up at the National Shrine, was that in Emmitsburg? I don't remember. The American prayer book pointed out that uh, the 24th, which is a Sunday, which was yesterday, was United Nations Day. And it struck me as kind of, you know, it, it very much in line with this reading. I don't know that it was curated for that purpose, but like, what do we do in in this world where we need accountability, we need kind of a, a centralized system of accountability at least, but with that comes power or goes power. Power goes to those who organize that accountability. The United Nations was born after World War II under the hopes, you know, World War One was the called the war to end all war. And then shit, you know, a generation later, they're having another war. So clearly that fucked up. And so the United Nations was born um, out of, I whether consciously or not, out of the realization, because it was real. I don't know if people realize it, but I'm sure they did, that, you know, fighting a war to end all wars just wasn't enough. They had to come together in some other way than through violence and make certain promises, certain concessions. Um, the UN is is um, controversial now for some Americans because it asks us as Americans to be subordinate or to subordinate our ideals, our laws, our, our citizens to something outside ourselves. Um, and I find that to be a little tragic. Um, you know, it makes me think of, you know, that call for a king. Um you know, there's, there are two very different but equally legitimate ways of interpreting a call for a centralized system of accountability, whether that's government uh, or power. Um, on you know, on the, the progressive side of Christianity, you know, we live in this ideal of, you know, some kind of anarchy, for lack of a better word. I don't think that's an appropriate word, but whatever. Like, it's, what, it's a word we have. Um, there is no lack of power. It's what we do with that power. Judges, there was no centralized power. That was something like anarchy, um, where they're just family clans and the family interests, the clan interests, drive a lot of things. And what Niebuhr, Reinhold Niebuhr, was uh, really good at doing uh, after World War II is pointing out, like, don't forget we're sinful people. Like, we're, you know, laws aren't going to ultimately help us. Um, they might, there might be some benefit, but don't forget that left to everyone's devices, they're probably going to much more likely to be horrible people than good people. And yet we have this hope. We have this hope that centralized government means universal accountability. And for some, that works. 
For others, it doesn't. It's simply not as simple as saying one or the other, that we must have you know, as decentralized power as possible, or we must centralize all the power. Um, you know, in my experience, and it's only my experience, <clears throat> the call for radically decentralizing power is much more prominent, much more fashionable. Uh, but when thought about for, you know, for any amount of time, honestly and you know, impartially, it's not, it's not the, <laughs> it's not an ideal solution. I mean, because you get something like judges. Um, and I, you know, the call for a king is the call for a unified system to which everybody is accountable. And Samuel articulates precisely what that means, what you're giving up. Um, and uh, I find it, and it's important to point out, uh, to look clear-eyed at what we give up to get the thing we want. Samuel knew what was happening, what they were giving up. And he saw it, and God said it was fine to see it as a rejection of God. Um, but that's as much a critique on humanity, it's much more a critique upon humanity than it is, you know, some failure of God. God didn't, you know, make that time be chaotic and violent. It was people who did it. So the UN is this really odd mirror image of Samuel calling for a, of of the people calling for a king under Samuel. Um, it's chaotic. The whole world went to war, and it still didn't end war. So let's give up some of our freedoms, our liberties, our our um, indulgences, in order that maybe a greater good might be accomplished. That war might really no longer rule the world. Um, but that under some um, you know, mutually agreeable system, whether that's a king or a united system of nations, um, that we have to be honest about the things that we're giving up in order to get the thing that we want. A prayer for United Nations Day from the American Prayer Book. Loving God, Thank you for giving humankind the motivation to come together to work on its problems and issues. We praise you for giving men and women the impulse to implement such an ambitious strategy. We glorify you for giving us the strength to move forward with this objective in the face of seemingly great obstacles. Remind us that with you nothing is impossible when we seek to do what is right in your sight. Strengthen us in these challenging times to continue to progress with your agenda of cooperation and unity. We rejoice in every step we take toward peace and prosperity for all your children, wherever and whoever they may be. Amen. Thank you for falling into First Formation, where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hardy folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, you can participate in one of the three following ways. First, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash pewpewhq. You can contribute as little as a dollar a month, and you can cancel at any time if I ever piss you off. Second, you can become a co-host by recording a lectionary reading for a future episode. Instructions will be provided, and you don't have to be a grunt to collaborate with pewpewhq in this or any way. 
Finally, you can also record and send prayer requests of a minute or less. Prayers can be included in the episode, read anonymously if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off-air. So there you have it, three ways to participate in First Formation. I hope you'll continue to listen, even if I can't convince you to jump in. This has been Brother Logan Isaac, always faithful, always family. Semper Familia.